backup running. Yep. Uh, oh, backups. Backup backups. is such a smart thing to do. They are. They it's always like backup. Yeah, it's it's almost like when we don't run them is exactly when we need them. Yeah, usually. <laughs> okay, I am. Can you saddle up on your mic a little bit too, there, kid? Please. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm still. <laughs> I'm you. still settling into being like Awake? in the land of the living. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm cool. Fair enough. Cool. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah. Should have seen me this week. I I think I lost I lost two days this week. Basically, like <laughs> Monday and Tuesday, I was like not I was not conscious. So yeah, was Oof. that re- recuperating from your illness? Yeah, your ailment. Uh, yeah, whatever the hell hit me on the weekend was just I took it out of me for like a day or two. So did you did you get your flu shot this year? I did not, and I think that may have mm-hmm. exacerbated things a little bit. So I should have uh, got my shit together. So there you go. My boss gives me a free flu shot every year, so I'm like... Yeah. There's your Dance Robot Dance PSA for the week. Go get your <laughs> Go fucking get flu shot. Yeah. Fucking flu shot. Otherwise, your stomach and insides turn into fucking liquid and just like, shoot out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Unpleasant. Hey, this isn't the Exorcist episode. Knock it off. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I, know, I was All trying right. to watch some of these movies while I was doing that, too, and I was like, this is not... It. I'm just like, you know what? Back to my MCU rewatch, boys. I'm not, I can't handle. I can't handle the Shining right now. You know, I just can't. Nope. Really? <laughs> the the, the elevator is stressful. Like I feel like all this blood is coming out of my butthole right of, now. Yeah, like, <laughs> inside of me, gurgling around. Yeah. Oh. yeah, you see, yeah. you see the elevator scene. And I'm like, wow, that's familiar. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I, like, wow, I heard that this morning in the toilet. Awful bowl. lot of blood rushing out of there. Yeah. That's not good. <laughs> Lovely. I should get that checked. Lovely. I should get that checked. <laughs> anyway. Well, now that all our listeners have that beautiful fucking image in their minds. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Dance Robot Dance, dear listeners. This is our 176th episode. Uh, I am Tim. I have returned from Middle Earth to host this week from Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, with me, we have our whole crew again. We have Paul from South Korea. Good morning, everyone. And we have Mark from Milton, Ontario. Good evening. Yeah. So, how are you guys doing this week? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Yeah. Uh, well, well. <laughs> well, unloaded more accurately. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> get your fucking flu shot. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all. I'm, my my house is having doggy health issues. Mark's house is having Mark health issues. Paul is yeah. presumably healthy. I'm pretty good. Yeah. I just, I'm <laughs> mentally just barely awake though. Just yeah, barely awake. <laughs> mentally. I am already like in, I've got a trip to Bangkok coming up in two weeks and I'm already there <laughs> mentally. I'm just is that like, a euphemism. <laughs> well, uh, it, yes. it, is, it is both euphemistic and literal. So there you go. <laughs> well, one night in Bangkok and the world is your oyster. <sighs> all right uh well we've got some fun film nerdery we're gonna get real fucking like artsy film nerd on you this week but before that we'll go through the news which is mostly just fucking trailers to be honest yeah the only one that i actually had time to watch was the black widow trailer which i thought looked pretty fucking good uh so it's sort of our first phase four trailer there was a little bit of like fat joke with fucking dudes stranger things dude's name david harbour yeah david david harbour who's playing uh is taskmaster taskmaster no no he's playing uh oh god i it's not i was i want everyone to see crimson dynamo but it's not him it's 
something else. Uh, um, Red Guardian. Red yeah. Guardian. That's it. Red Thank Guardian. you. Uh, and then Rachel Wise in there being a fucking smoke show. Yeah. Anton in there being a fucking smoke show. Yeah. And, and lots of cool looking fucking action and stuff. So, I mean, that, yeah, get me hyped for fucking phase four of the MCU. Um, hey, yeah, that's that's a train I'm already like locked yeah. and loaded for. So <laughs> bring it fucking on yeah. in the bag. Yeah. A lot of like, I'm glad that the sentiment is like, finally, not why do we need this? Um, oh, like, there's a little bit of like confusion of Ugh. like, well, Infinity War death and yeah. or endgame death sorry and like why is she here why are we having this movie but like mostly it's just like resounding finally we got her movie yeah, so yeah, yay natasha i've been waiting for a good black widow movie for like they've been talking about like doing a black widow movie for decades right and like yeah. pre-mcu and stuff it's almost as long as they were talking yeah. about doing black panther so yeah well it's one of the only it's one of the mcu characters that you can do on like a not blockbuster budget kind of thing yeah. right so yeah. you know you can get away with, it doesn't yeah. have to be like all crazy like super heroics and special effects a lot of it can just be practical effects and wire work so it's probably like the budget on this i'm sure was a quarter if not less of fucking endgame well endgame was like a billion dollar movie like just yeah. to make so like i bet you this thing caught like you could definitely make this this is like a born esque kind of movie right like you could do this for 50 million dollars as long as yeah 50 100 million bucks or something yeah and it's yeah. really the only big yeah. big star in it is scarlett johansson like rachel vice is probably getting a couple mil but like david harbour after hellboy i bet you he's fucking happy he got that paycheck so yeah oh boy yeah, yeah. But like Black Widow is a really compelling story overall. Yeah. So it's like it's just that it didn't quite fit in the MCU as we knew it like early on because they were just building the Avengers team, yeah. right? And like learning like the CD side of the MCU now it is look like that lets us I don't know, we can explore those little different cul-de-sacs and avenues now and it doesn't feel like a waste of time it's like okay we're just building out the yeah, world man. which i i really like yeah, yeah exactly we're going out on these little tributaries now rather than just like following yep. this main river yeah, yeah. and natasha's yeah. is overdue yeah Absolutely. yeah which is an era of the mcu that i'm very looking forward to where we just get to kind of like meander a little bit again before we mm-hmm. get back to like hey galactus is coming or doom or something yeah exactly all these super and yeah. super involved and and uh continuity heavy stories and everything mm-hmm. a couple so. of spider-man movies where he's just bombing around being spider-man cool do it you know like that kind of stuff yeah. i'll take them yeah indeed the next trailer another female-led also disney movie uh we got our first trailer for the live action mulan I did not watch it because I don't give any shits about these fucking live action Disney remakes, nor do I really give any shits about Mulan. But yeah, this one, um, I'm really torn about this movie because like it gives me vibes of Crouching Tiger. But unfortunately, it gives me like kind of family friendly Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And it I don't know. Yeah, sanitized, sanitized and like sanitized for China as well. Like China already yeah. was kind of like up in arms about the fact that they have a pretty Mulan because Mulan was sup- not supposed to be like this super feminine woman. Like she's supposed to be able to fit in with the soldiers and this the actress playing Mulan here it clearly does not. Yeah. So yeah, there's some extra suspension of disbelief, but also like, I don't know, China doesn't like musicals. So we don't get to hear I'll make a man out of you. And there's no fucking dragon. There's no dragon. There's no dragon. There's like a, a, no a Andy Murphy dragon. There's a bad CGI Phoenix in the trailer, which I was like, no, like the only character that looked kind of cool was like the witch that could transform into a bird or something like that was kind of like some of the effects was were okay. And some of them were like, no. So I uh, was with Aladdin and Lion King. I'm not going to go see this in theaters. Like, 
just i can't i cannot support this live action remake chicanery train that disney is on it's just buffoonery the buffoonery of it all (laughs) so no agreed Um, let's see here's one that i'm sure we will all fucking see in the theater uh the first no time to die the next bond movie trailer came out this week i fuck i wish i'd had time to watch this one but i did not but i'm assuming at least it is fucking hot sexy shit I'll play, it. I'll play it right uh, now. It looks like the like best Bond movie ever. If this trailer was just the movie, I would be like perfectly happy with everything that's going on. Yeah. Miniguns. <laughs> it's fan- I'm not even going to spoil it. Watch the trailer. We'll do a little react. Yeah. Nice. It just looks fun, man. Ooh. Like I know it, like it looks like Fucking like swinging off that bridge. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's real good. It's so it's real good. Yeah, it does look really good. And the, who who's the one that who ended up uh, directing this one? Oh geez, Ralph, Rafe Rafe Fines is uh there's that Joseph Fines. Uh no, it's whichever it's one of those Fines brothers it's, is put on some fucking weight. Yeah. That's Rafe. Yeah. Chonky. Chonky boy. <laughs> oh, there's that new double O agent that pissed everybody off because everybody's like, oh no, they're replacing Bond with a black girl. No, it's just Lashana Lynch being awesome. Yeah. So. It's, it's entirely possible that there are nine double O's also, guys. Like you don't yeah, exactly. like have to be double O seven, you know. Remember yeah, Sean yeah. Bean? You remember Sean Bean? 006, yeah, man. Fucking dudes like like to see this shit and just react on gut instinct without <sighs> actually watching. This does yeah. look really good though. It does look great. So I'm I'm actually like I was I was a little concerned about this flick because they were going down the like Spectre 2 route. I was like, fuck that, because that movie yeah, Oof, that was a bothersome movie to me, but this looks like he's going to get to leave the franchise in style, which I think he deserves. Man, he's had he's actually had a really good run as Bond. I like most of his movies. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, so yeah, and fucking, I'm I'm super happy to have Christoph Waltz back as uh, Blofeld. Absolutely, and like Rami Malek yeah. is just like he's fucking awesome. Yeah. So and this is kind of a yeah. role that's probably <laughs> a little bit more up his alley than what I felt Freddie Mercury kind of did, like what he did with Freddie Mercury. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. that. And then, nice. The director. Uh, is Kerry Joji Fukunaga. Right, Kerry Fukunaga. Yeah, he apparently tried to woo Grace Jones back to the Bond franchise. Did he really? Yeah, th- this popped up eight hours ago on Metro News, I guess. But like, I would have loved to see Grace Jones again. God, I love Grace Jones. She's so awesome. Anyway, maybe not so much in the Bond movies, but like... Just... He did it. Okay, interesting. Like he did the first... What? Oh, Kerry Fukunaga did? Yeah. No, like did the... He? No. Oh, he... It was the same director that did both that did both so, chapters uh, of it. What is what's the fucking wrong with his? I don't know. This is what Google's telling me. Sorry, I'll have to cut all this shit out. Oh, you you wrote it. <laughs> screenplay. Okay, yeah, yeah, he did the screenplay. Is. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. He was like, I remember Beast of No Nation. I was like, what else did he do? I was trying to think of what else he he'd done. Did you guys see Maniac? That was a pretty cool show with uh, Emma. No, Stone, not yet. Uh, oh, he did. A, he's a TV guy. Oh, okay, that's probably why I haven't seen a lot of this stuff. That makes sense. Um, that was a pretty cool movie. A pretty cool show. Yeah. So we've got about five months to wait for No Time to Die. We've got like no time to wait for Christ on Infinite Earth, which had a trailer come out this week. Which God, I need to fucking catch oh. up on those shows because. I've been trying to get through oh, some of them, but yeah, so some of them are real rough. I don't know. I might just jump into this. So we'll see. I think I'm just jumping. I'm going to jump into this, and I'm real leery about <laughs> it because everything looks cheap. Like I was like, yeah. "Holy shit, real bad, boys!" Like real bad. I'm not like not. I don't. I love these CW shows, like for what they are, but it may be time to start. Like if we're going to slash these budgets, this fucking threadbare, it may be time to start slashing some of these fucking mm-hmm. shows. You know what I mean? And, consolidating some of this money into one of them because oh boy this is yeah i mean i don't know i don't think it looks any like worse than any of the other crossovers have and those have all ended up being pretty fucking fun so yeah we'll that's, see. it's fair and maybe i'm just like a little bit removed from that 
yeah. those shows right now. So I like I'm going back to it and being like, well, wait, what? Like, yeah. Well, I mean, and right now we're being really spoiled by shows with super high production value, like mm-hmm. shit, like shit, like Watchmen and the Mandalorian, and Mandalorian. like holy fuck, even like Star Trek at the same time. Yeah, right? like yeah. like these crazy sh- these shows are really nice looking. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I'll 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 get to it, and I'm I'm excited for it. Uh, and then yeah. the other thing that you guys had been talking a little bit about, but I had not even was not even aware it had released yet, was the Harley Quinn animated series that went uh, straight to the DC Universe streaming service. Yeah, that is apparently just an f bomb laden. I don't know. It is a trip, man. Okay, <laughs> so it is. It's something. I don't know, man. Like I had some moments with it where I was like, I don't, "Why okay. are we doing this?" I saw but. a review of it on the AV Club. I was like, I didn't even know the show was. Th- it was marketed as like a, a Hartley and Poison Ivy thing, and I'm like, "Oh, I'll watch this." This I thought it was going to be in the vein of skewing a lot younger, like 12, 15 year olds. But no, this is for Edge Lord. DCU Zack Snyder cut want yeah. wanters, oh, no. you know, like the way that it's just like there are some takes on the characters that I actually find pretty funny. Like I definitely like this Poison Ivy. I do too, actually. I'll give you that. <laughs> that Poison Ivy is really good. <laughs> She's just like this blase fucking bitch who's just like just fucking text me your fucking Thai food order, which was fine. And the Commissioner Gordon strung out on caffeine was like an interesting yeah. take for sure. But yeah, like it was a little bit much, but it was pretty funny but their take on the joker was what the fuck like i don't know there was definitely this moment where it was like i'm an agent of chaos that's why you love me and i'm like oh i've actually used those terms before (laughs) and i'm like oh god am i one of them but it was it was it was an uncomfortable 22 minutes Hmm. where i wasn't sure if i but it was joke after joke after joke and about half of them landed and half of them so like so like no you're wrong (laughs) you're wrong it's like less than that it's less than that that. i was watching it like basically every punchline is hey fuck (laughs) fuck 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 fuckity fuck i was like (laughs) this is what we're doing now apparently yeah Yeah. is this where we're going with batman all right uh black widow ticket for one motherfuckers i'm I'm checking back out to marvel guys sorry like is this supposed to be like okay so birds of prey is supposed to be more of a like a take that's more generally friendly so this is like the the dcu edgelord fanboy take so that people aren't upset with the birds of prey movie like i don't get where why they're having two harley quinn products happening at the same time Maybe I guess she's that popular of a character, yeah. I guess. Well, she's Harley Quinn. Yeah, it's like Batman, right? Like, at this point, they're really going to push her as, like, especially now that they want, like, a female-led kind of franchise, and she's popular. They may as- they, they're going to use her as a franchise if they can. Yeah, and yeah. her comics are fucking popular. Like, there was a period yeah. there where, like, they were had she had, like, three different titles or something like that, and then she keeps, right. like, popping up in, like, Suicide Squad and shit like that, too, so... I sold 10 prints last time I did a table with Harley Quinn yeah. prints. Yeah, she's yeah. super like, popular. People love her. Right now, so. People love her. Yeah. So. Maybe maybe yeah. this is just the year for like fucking weird Joker takes, I guess. We got this shit and then we got fucking <sighs> the, the actual fucking movie. And uh. They can never take the fucking Dark Knight away from us, boys. You know what I mean? We <laughs> always true. have the Dark Knight to just be like, <laughs> you know what? Everything was okay in 2008. <laughs> They'll figure it out yeah. someday. Yeah. Hopefully. And we always have Marvel, boys. <laughs> yeah. We always have Marvel. They're just taking care yeah, of us now. That's true. 
Sorry, Tim. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I I've got good TV shows for the That's most true. part. That's like true. I've got Titans has been pretty solid this season. Yeah, I gotta get Although into it. I've heard that the uh, heard the, the fucking yeah, I heard that the finale was kind of garbage. I I need, I'll probably end up watching that this weekend, but we'll see. I was gonna start it at some point in the not too distant future, so uh, we'll be able yeah. to pick at that one at some point. So yeah, but the uh, the Deathstroke stuff. Yeah, it looks good, man. Beautiful, real nice. So. Yeah, so I mean that was everything that I had this week. I mean it is so we're coming up on the holidays. There's not a whole lot of shit, you know, getting announced. But unless you guys had anything that I missed, uh, everything I see these days seems to just be revolving around Star Wars. So I don't pay yeah. super close attention to it. I know that's yeah. What's there's that next lots week, or? lots of Mandalorian yeah. news. Yeah, and then Rise of Skywalker is yeah. week after next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so less that's than two been, weeks uh, now. Yeah. yeah. So that's just been kind of like everything I'm seeing all the time. And, and everything I'm like, there's so much fucking butthurt bullshit where people are just like, I'm not, this movie's going to be terrible. I'm not anticipating this at all. And I'm like, shut just shut up about it then. <laughs> yeah, Why do you need to keep on going off about it? Yeah, just basically. let the people that are excited about it be fucking excited about it. I just want it to come out and like, let's just do this and like pull the bandaid off at this point. Yeah. Kind of thing. Let so. people like things. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Well, then we can move on to our Geek of the Week. Oh, yeah. Geek of the Week. <laughs> we got a little lost there for a second. Fuck. So, yes, this is a segment where we discuss the nerdiest things we've done in the last week or so. Let's go to Paul first. Well, Cyber Monday happened, and there were some Switch deals that I took advantage nice. of. Because I have been sober for two months straight now, I uh, decided to treat myself to a couple hundred dollars of video games. <laughs> treat yourself. Treat yourself. Yeah, so I downloaded the Switch version of Cuphead. Nice. I downloaded it, which was is awesome and yeah. fun. And uh, but also Xenoblade Chronicles Two was on sale for yeah. a significant chunk off. So I downloaded that and started playing it. And ooh, it's pretty. It's a real nice, is it good? Fun game. So far, so good. It's turn-based kind of action RPG with like an auto battle. I think this is how Final Fantasy VII's battle system is going to work in the remake. So yeah, but it's really good. And I like the style and the voice acting is not terrible. The English voice acting is not bad, actually. Can I, can I, have you played the goose? No, I haven't played the goose, but that is goose game. Untitled goose game. It wasn't on sale, but I'm still going to download it because I'm it's like 20 bucks. Yeah, just buy I'm just going to buy it. Yeah. It's so fucking good. Yeah. It's so fucking great. <laughs> so yeah, I got to spend some time with that. And the Switch Online updated with Kirby Superstar. I mean, it's just one of the best. It's one of the best 2D platformers of all time. So go play that. Anyway. Cool. Yeah. What is that? When's that update? Is that today? December. Like Friday? Yeah. Yeah, it's today. Yeah, the Friday? It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. I think yeah. so. I was going to Nintendo's a Friday update usually. So that's awesome. All right. Uh, Mark, how about you? This is weird. I went and like uh, sat with my sister's students today and showed them my illustration process. Wait, they they let you around? <laughs> I was flabbergasted when she was like, "Oh yeah, you're absolutely allowed in the school." I was like, "Wait, what?" I don't think that. It's not like a church, Mark. You're not going to get struck dead when you enter. That I think that yeah, catch fire. Yeah, well, it does burn slightly when you walk across that threshold, but like I can tolerate it for a little while. It's fine. But it was like it was terrible. Either way. So I showed them, walked them through kind of like how I do my illustration process. And like, we did some life drawing stuff, like some really basic, like gesture drawing stuff. And like, it was horrible. And I fucking hate teenagers. 
and I don't know. Well, One Punch Man. What's One Punch Man? Oh, anybody? Oh, I I'm know like, One Punch Man. That's Saitama. Oh, I love yeah. One Punch Man. I'm it's funny. Sick to fucking <laughs> death of hearing about Fortnite. Like, can you kids please grow up and play Rainbow Six Siege so that I can stab you in the fucking neck <laughs> for talking about Fortnite for the last three fucking years? I can't take it anymore. Either like there was like two or three kids that were really interested, so like it was kind of cool, and like they were asking questions and stuff. So that was kind of it was it was fun, but it was at the same time I was like, man, these kids are. I don't like kids. <laughs> like I just don't like being in front of groups of teenagers. It was awful, yeah. awful, awful. Yeah, but <laughs> it was an educational experience for sure. You know, it it taught yeah. me like I can't teach. Basically, it's like you're gonna teach, go to college. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> even then, you're probably gonna kill somebody. So yeah. Don't. Teaching is a, uh, a unique skill, and uh, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't want to teach teenagers now that I'm used to teaching like six and seven Kids. year olds. They love you unconditionally after a certain sure. point, and will actually want your approval. Whereas teenagers want their peers' approval, so you are an enemy to them, basically. Yeah, and it's like, Fair. yeah, no, I'll take my kindergarten kid. I, whew, I, yeah, not, I was over it real fast. You know what I mean? I was like, this is fun <laughs> for like 13 seconds. And then like, I can't, it gets to the point where like, they're all just start talking all over on top of each other. And like my hearing's going cause I'm old or whatever. And I'm like, I can't really make out what's happening anymore. So I just stand there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I'm looking at my sister. Like, I don't fucking know. What <laughs> like usually when, cause I'm used to dealing with professionals. Like when I train people, they're usually kind of sitting there either in fear of me or like just waiting for me to talk because I'm yeah. a professional. Right. But like these kids don't give a shit. So yeah. they're just kind of like, Wah! and I was like, all right, I'm tapping out. Like, what do we want to do? Draw. We'll make them draw. Let's make them draw. And maybe they'll tire themselves out. Like they never do. <laughs> but either way, I mean, you know what? Awesome. Good times. <laughs> there was like, there's literally like two kids in there who are like really into like the drawing side of it. So that was kind of fun. But the, the rest of the class was just like, crazy mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> nice yeah cool so my geek of the week is was the reason that i missed last week's episode was because i was fucking eyeballs deep in middle earth for our our annual middle earth movie marathon which go back and listen to the bonus episode we did and you'll see the kind of shenanigans that we get up to during those so yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun it was a little bit bittersweet because it was the last one that we're gonna get to do in georgia so there's some people that uh you know probably won't be able to make when we move up to canada in the spring so but it was still a lot of fun we did it over two days we had the hobbit movies on black friday and then uh, we did all the lord of the rings movies on saturday and finished up like 1 a.m ish or something like that on sunday morning so always a lot of fun get a bunch of fucking tolkien nerds together and then some other non-tolkien nerds that ask stupid questions and that we then give snarky <laughs> answers to and yeah <laughs> mark mark pointing at himself because that will definitely be him next year yeah i'm gonna drive alicia <laughs> fucking nuts next year awesome i'm gonna make sure that she's sitting right beside you so that she can like smack like punch you in the kidneys oh, she's gonna be punching every time you with a yeah. copy of the silmarillion like over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is like I, I could take so much damage man like <laughs> it's rough anyway you have big 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 health bar yeah like just i have a fucking tank it's crazy (laughs) yeah so yeah so that was a lot of fun and uh yeah i was not right for a couple of days after that (laughs) (laughs) i was pretty fucking tired and pretty hungover but fun just the same Mm -hmm. cool well with that we can move on to our meat of the episode directorial meat so this is a episode that we have i think teased a lot 
sort of over the years uh, because you know we we've all we're all like film nerds to some degree, uh, but you know we mostly tend to talk about like genre movies and stuff like that on the podcast. So there are some directors that sort of fall either partially or completely outside of our usual scope that we don't really ever get to talk to. So uh, we kind of made this an opportunity to talk about some of our, to to bring up some of the favorite directors of of each of us that we haven't really spoken about yet. So get ready for some, like I said, hardcore, like fucking art school film nerd kind of bullshit this episode, folks. Yeah. Like the first thing I wrote in my notes was, this is literally going to be the most pretentious episode we've ever done. <laughs> it is. And I'm excited. I'm it excited. Is, yeah, it is, it is definitely uh, has that potential. So, yeah. Well, let's go to, let's see, how do we want to do this? Let's go in terms of age. Our youngest director ha- was chosen by Paul. So let's go with Paul first. Okay. So the director that I chose was Sofia Coppola. Sofia Coppola is uh, the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola, so that we have to get out, that out of the way because, like, yes, yeah. she is a very well-connected <laughs> woman, and there are not many female directors in Hollywood, which is one of the reasons that I picked her because I just think it's important to talk about female directors because they just don't get a lot of cred and respect in the overall and, film yeah. nerd she's like maybe the most successful female director like i can't think off the top of my head of anybody that has had more like critical successes than maybe Catherine bigelow uh because she won an oscar yeah uh, but yeah yeah like in terms of money probably patty jenkins yeah. now yeah yeah yeah, yeah but i would say that sofia coppola I think kind of opened some doors for a lot of female directors. I mean, like there were definitely female directors in the past who kind of like just nudged the door open. But Sofia Coppola is one of those few directors like that art school kids were like, oh, we're going to go see this Sofia Coppola movie because it's Sofia Coppola. It didn't really matter. Sometimes when we're talking about directors, we don't always care about the cast so much. Like that's a value added bonus. We're going to see their vision right and so Sofia Coppola has a pretty distinct vision and style that I really enjoy overall and most importantly she was in the Phantom Menace oh yeah it's true (laughs) very important and also the only good scene in Godfather 3 is the Sofia death scene so like let's not forget that either yeah I don't I don't hate Godfather 3 (laughs) and and she was she was actually pretty solid in Godfather 3 yeah Uh, yeah that movie, yeah, that movie, there's a reason why it's contentious, because uh, them's fighting words, Tim. Fighting. <laughs> to be fair, it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I might be to looking be at To be fair, I, I may Sorry. be looking at it, it with uh, with some rose-colored goggles. Yeah. But, yeah you, I mean, it's it's definitely the worst of the three. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but, anyway. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so so I don't know when we'll ever get to that episode. Like at episode five hundred, we'll do the Godfather or something like that. I don't know. You know what I mean? But yeah. we'll have that conversation one day. I think. <laughs> yeah. So. so okay. First off, I I kind of want to jump back for a sec. I meant to do this sort of before we got started, but let's have a really quick discussion about sort of what we look for in a good director. Like what makes a good director for us, and then Paul, you can like apply it to your views on Sofia Coppola. Sure. One thing that I look for in a director is like a consistent but distinctive style 
Like, and it's something, a style that serves to enhance the storytelling. So, like, you can have someone who has a really distinctive style, like Michael Bay. Like, we, if you see a Michael Bay movie, you know it's a Michael Bay movie, but it doesn't serve the storyline because no one knows what the fuck is going on because his camera doesn't stop moving. Whereas Tarantino has, like, the distinctive style or one of the distinctive styles, but it always serves the storytelling the plot the character mm-hmm, yeah. development the narrative, the narrative yeah. overall so that's something that i definitely look for in a director okay for me i think the main one for me is just the ability to use all the tools of film to enhance a story without getting in the way of the story mm. so you know to be able to use editing really effectively like framing shots cinematography also just being able to get outstanding performances out of your actors all of that is what i look for in a director so it doesn't necessarily for me have to be like i can look at this movie and say like that's definitely a movie from such and such director kind of thing because when we get to my director you will see that that is not really the case necessarily unless like there's some really like deep telltale signs but i wouldn't say overall i was gonna say like some i mean some people would definitely argue with you on that yeah, point okay. and i might be one of them okay. who like i can definitely see a kubrick movie from a, like yeah. basically a shot and know that was a kubrick shot but yeah, okay i may have spent a lot of time fucking looking at those movies, <laughs> Fair, so yeah. i don't know if i'm just crazy also so. yeah but it's not like on the face of it like it is with like a wes anderson movie or sofia coppola movie or michael bay movie or or something like that kind of thing so well no i mean not everybody is glowing orange all the time in <laughs> other people's movies like michael bay movies you know what i mean yeah. so yeah. it is also that all right cool. and mark what do you look for in a in a good director like a lot of the things that you look for basically it's usually a mix of storytelling and technical proficiency that i look for mm-hmm. i'm i'm a big we all i think we all kind of know i'm a i'm a big nerd for like technicians who do whatever that nitty-gritty kind of detail work yeah and uh hence like technique guys so technique guys like so like again like i picked chris nolan for a reason like it's all about distinct visual style and like combining kubrickian shots and special effects works it's very all seamless and like the use of score and sound and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff that he does that just like right laser focus on what he's trying to get your attention on Mm -hmm. that's like yeah that's kind of what chris nolan or like what i look for in a director and that's why i I picked chris nolan it's also why i would have picked kubrick if you hadn't said it or (laughs) yeah somebody had tarantino (laughs) yeah like i had a like a laundry list of guys and i'm like yeah it's all basically have like this really efficient style of shooting and writing and doing all that stuff and also the storytelling aspect where they are the guy who writes and directs it, it's kind of an auteur thing for me too, where it's like mm. the movie is very much theirs, right? Yeah. So like sometimes the guys who come in and like direct somebody else's script, I'm like, okay, cool. Like you're a good director. But like when you get a Kubrick who like takes a book and like adapts it into The Shining or whatever, or like writes Full Metal Jacket, or you get Chris Nolan working with his brother yeah. or like that kind of stuff. And then like is the one the one that's in the editing room and everything working on it. Yeah. 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 yeah cool. Absolutely. Like I like that the overall like kind of global position, like it becomes, you become the author of that piece. Right. So like, you're just, you have your hands in every aspect of it. You're talking to the effects guys, talking to the set guys, doing everything on that movie. So nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, so going back to Paul's point, like Sophia Coppola definitely has a very distinctive style. Like you can very much, which, which I like, I, you know, I don't dislike that, but yeah, that's yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a very, very twee style. Right. And I think that <laughs> one of the things about a good director as well is that if you have that kind of distinctive style, can you apply it to different kinds of narratives? And I think Sofia Coppola <laughs> can do that very well as well. Like the Virgin Suicides versus Lost in Translation versus Marie Antoinette versus The Beguile, they're all very 
Oh, and the bling ring too. Very, very different like genres of film, but still mm. very much like you look at it. Oh, that's definitely Sofia Coppola, but she's applying her yeah. style effectively or not effectively, depending on who, which movie you're talking about. But mostly she's very successful at being able to take what she does well and apply it to a slightly different genre. Yeah. But the way that she shoots her movies tends to emphasize atmosphere and like character moments of dialogue as opposed to like big monologues or anything like that. She's more about quiet character moments and like establishing shots and things like that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, when you see a Sofia Coppola movie, she she emphasizes a lot of feminine beauty and most of her main characters are women. And that's if you watch something like Marie Antoinette or the Virgin suicides, like those are very much like uses a lot of symbolism and signifiers of, female beauty period within but not objectification never like the, yeah. if it's objectification it is it's for a purpose it's for a purpose it's in order yeah. to make a commentary on objectification like yeah, yeah. yeah definitely yeah. and the stuff that she tends to objectify are the things that the female characters objectify like the one of the famous scenes in marie antoinette is the like the shopping montage scene which has amazing sound editing as well like she's uh going through like she's getting shown all these clothes and all this food and like having champagne poured for her and playing poker and the, the even the way the poker chips fall on the table has that beautiful clacking sound and it's mm-hmm. all just like this very like sumptuous sensual feast while you're watching it and i really enjoy that's one of the scenes that i wanted to point out because Marie Antoinette is not uh, was not regarded particularly well from critics early on, but it's got a lot of things going for it. So yeah, yeah. So where do we want to go next? Uh, like other g- good scenes from Sofia Coppola? Do we want to? Yeah, or just I, I don't know. I mean, I can talk about my love. I like I very much love fucking. I rewatched Virgin Suicides this afternoon, and that fucking movie is beautifully made and. Holy shit, that air soundtrack is amazing. She's yes, that's one thing I want to give Sofia Coppola credit for is putting together an excellent team around her, like an you know, getting in like I don't know of, of many people that could get air to come in and do a whole mm-hmm. fucking soundtrack to a movie kind of thing. Yeah. So she's able to and part of that is probably because of her like family connections and stuff like that, but part of that is you know, because that was like her first feature length movie. So yes. like, I don't know how many people can pull off getting like a fucking huge uh, musical artist like that to do a whole soundtrack for like your very first feature movie, but a lot of props there. Yeah. And I think that that speaks to like her level of vision for her films, because like mm-hmm. it, you wouldn't know that that was like a first pass. Like there are th- oh, yeah. things she's still like figuring uh, was figuring her voice out on the Virgin Suicides, I think, but it's such a well-made film. And it's a movie that I come back to because it's so haunting Mm -hmm. that I just, and there's so many good things about it that it's like, it's clear that she already had a good idea of how she wanted her first film to go in like a top to bottom way, like a very holistic way. Some of the scenes in The Virgin Suicides are like, haunt me to this day. Like the one that stands out to me is weirdly enough, after Cecilia's suicide, like the Mm -hmm. first suicide in The Virgin Suicides, they go through, like, what school was like in the subsequent days and, like, the memorial service. And the they have the guidance counselor, teacher, whatever, explain why the pamphlets were green. Yeah. Cheerful, but not too cheerful. Certainly not red. And, like, that moment just stuck out. It still sticks out to me. And, like, she combines the tragic, romantic 
aspect of these girls with like the mundanity and shittiness of adult life. And it's just stunning film. I just love that movie so much. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking phenomenal movie for sure. And yeah, you're right. Really haunting and tells, I mean, especially for fucking that movie being almost 20, no, literally 20 years old now. Like the, a lot of the themes in there are still super relevant today Mm -hmm. in terms of like just, fucking like helicopter parenting and just not letting fucking kids live their lives. And, and also just like kids, like what's the word I'm just having this like idealized version of love in their heads. And yeah, you know, if if real life doesn't live up to that, you know, just the, the disappointment that surrounds all that. And yeah, which was exemplified. My favorite, my other favorite scene in that movie is when the kids are uh, playing records to each other over the phone. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty long scene where they go back and forth choosing like these seventies singer songwriters. Cause that's when the movie is set is in the seventies or Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And, and uh, there's just playing the songs back and forth to each other. And it's really romantic, but really sad because they're all confined in this really small space. Like these four girls are like just very melancholy lying on top of each other while they're playing these records to these boys over the phone. And it's just like sad, sad yeah. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love Marion Toinette as well. It's been years since I've watched it, unfortunately, oh, yeah. but uh, it definitely like left a long impression on me. I have not watched Bling Ring yet. Bling Ring is it, all of her movies that like fail initially always end up having a huge cult following. And if you watch the Paris Hilton robbery scene in the Bling Ring where they go into her house, you'll see like she just lets the characters and the actors use their natural like charisma and magnetism to just like do their thing. Like mm-hmm. Emma Watson is in the bling ring and you, she just kind of exudes charisma in those scenes where they just kind of let her, let her like fuck around with Paris Hilton's wardrobe and stuff like that. It's pretty awesome. But I think that her crown jewel is still lost in translation overall. Like I, I gotta like give props to lost in translation. It, I think it is her, the movie I would point to, to exemplify her style in the best mm-hmm. way possible. Like the, the way that she creates this sense of loneliness and isolation in one of the busiest cities in the world, which I had visited and oh my God, it's just like how she was able to do that was yeah. is astounding to me. Scarlett Johansson as Charlotte and Bill Murray as Bob are so real to me. I feel like they are people that I could know in real life or that I have known in real life, but they get to exist in this world of isolated technological wonder and beauty and feel like totally alone with each other. It's so really, really interesting film. And I mean, that's really like, she is responsible for, for Bill Murray's big, like dramatic turn in films. Like he'd done like, bits and pieces of like dramatic work before that, but it was almost entirely comedy. And then yeah. after that, people were like, holy fuck, like this guy's got like serious acting chops. Yeah. Like, you know, the Lost in Translation was still a comedy to some extent, but it was, you know, very ha- much had like Indian dramatic elements and stuff like that too. And so. Definitely. I think that yeah. like it, the Bill Murray Renaissance was st- kicked off with this. And then like, yeah, cause he still has that like Bill Murray deadpan, comedy smarm smarm the when he that that first scene when he's like filming the whiskey commercial yeah early on and or uh, the the scene that i is now problematic to me 
the rip my stocking scene with the escort going it oh, oh yeah escort. Oh, it's hard to watch now but um <laughs> yeah it is uh still like very much bill murray just like naturally being bill murray and ki- just killing it and yeah. But my favorite scene in Lost in Translation, besides like the bigger, slower establishing shots that show the beauty of the city, is when Bob and Charlotte have their argument after he nails the jazz singer in that club, which I have been to, by the way. (laughs) Did you know that you were going there? Were you specifically going, like, I want to go to the jazz club from Lost in Translation? Oh, yeah, I Googled that. Oh, I Googled exactly that. (laughs) (laughs) And But they have just this, this seething tension, and they're not really arguing about what they're really arguing about. And Sofia Coppola is really good at teasing out these emotions and spelling out exactly what the characters are expressing and feeling with while they are the characters themselves are saying something completely different and i just it's a really well done argument scene and i point to it as a very good example of how you do character work in dialogue so good gee paul i can't imagine why a movie about you know a a a North American person living in a foreign country and feeling isolated and cut off from the rest of the world might be your favorite Sofia Coppola movie. Oh, I can't imagine why. Really. <laughs> and especially in like a, a coming of age moment where this young woman is married and doesn't know if she's made it, made the right choice. And uh, Bill Murray, who has clearly seems to have fucked up his marriage and Oh my God, it's so, it's so good. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. There's a, just a lot to love with all of Sofia Coppola's movies. And I think she gets a lot of flack for being like too distant and dreamlike with her with her directing. That's my primary concern with most of these movies. It's just like the, the languidness <laughs> of them always off-puts me. Like I... And it's something we'll talk about when we talk about my like about Chris Nolan, where like the propulsiveness of almost everything that happens all the time yeah. in those movies. And it's kind of the same with Kubrick, where you're just kind of always on that mm, roller coaster. Yeah. I would... I would disagree with you on Kubrick. I think Kubrick knows how to dwell on a moment when he needs to. Yeah, yeah but it's usually to ratchet tension up to the point yeah, where you're like yeah. gearing yourself yeah. down, right? So like with her, it's it's always more about it's, you're establishing a very serene mood, which I'm like, I get is an aesthetic, yeah. but is a, is a film like a narrative device? I'm like, all right, let's just get They're it. They're almost fucking like ASMR movies to some extent, right? Like yeah, they get, they kinda, they they get up are, to a yeah. point and like there's not like there is a climax but the climax is not that much you know higher level than the rest of it kind of thing and so you just you just kind of get there and you're you're comfortable in that space in that you know in that vibe for the whole movie pretty much yeah it's there's a weird thing with the virgin suicides because like the the final like moment where the boys are stumbling over all the girls bodies as Mm -hmm. or has it's just like there's no background music to it at all it's just the the sound effects of the boys like being surprised and like their feet running away from the the corpses that they've found and like it just your stomach drops there's like there's already so little to like grab onto that you're just forced to dwell in that moment and i think that's one of the reasons that i like coppola's languidness is that it for like once you that's taken away and all those like pretty sounds get dropped away and you're forced into these really like awkward or tense dramatic character moments you have nothing else to hold on to but those sounds and like it really makes you focus on the conflict between the characters Mm -hmm. and i think that's but as mark said i can see why that is kind of 
annoying to some people or like it can bore some people because it's like you need patience to like and i'm not saying that you don't have patience for film i'm just saying that like it's a certain kind of patience and some people just don't dig nature sounds or like uh, (sighs) ambient techno like (laughs) you know like it's just uh, not my jam it's an aesthetic that you have to kind of buy into and i definitely buy into it i like I, I'm a big air fan already. So like when playground yeah. love was a thing, I was like, yes, please. But that was one of those things where like, Tim said the same thing when he came in, we were talking about it before the episode started and he's like, Oh, air. And I was like, yeah, also not really my jam. Yeah. Like just not yeah. sorry, boys, you know, <laughs> you know, it's not my thing. Indietronica yeah. so, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really like beep, bleepy bloopy through a, uh, a Casio. Just not, I don't, what, what? All right, cool. You know, you guys do you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, and that uh, well, Paul, that scene you're talking about where the guys, the boys, like stumble on the corpses, like that really impresses me from the standpoint of her knowing exactly how much she needs to show to get the point mm-hmm. across without having to be like graphic, you know, show like the actual full corpses. Like all you see from the one girl is like just her legs hanging down. One of the yeah. the, the one in the kitchen, you just see them like tripping over her legs and stuff. Yeah. Like, and the other two, they don't even show. Yeah, well, they have they show Lux with her. Oh, that's true. They do show out yeah, of the yeah. car because yeah. uh, she's the last one. Yeah, she don't doesn't they don't show the one that OD'd on sleeping pills. Right. The only one that they show graphically is the first one is Cecilia because they have yeah. that shot of her over the top while she's impaled on the fence. Yeah. And they have to lift her like they, it was just the the mundanity of having to lift her body off of that fence. I yeah. think was like such a like a powerful moment. And the other girls, their suicides are a lot less theatrical. Like they're like, uh, women tend to kill themselves in ways that are easy to clean up for people, whereas men tend to kill themselves in ways that are more just blowing their heads off, and, blowing their heads off, and yeah. making a mess. Yeah. And that I think that was like the, all the older daughters had already had that uh, internalized. We have to make ourselves smaller. We have to contain ourselves mm-hmm. so much that we even our deaths have to be small. So they're all, they all happen at the same time in this little house. Yikes. Yeah. So, so effective. Yeah. So well done and really, really sad. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Anything else you want to talk about with Sofia Coppola? No, I don't think so. Just like she does have some problematic elements to her. I mean, like the way that she treats most of the Japanese characters in Lost in Translation is very problematic how would i say this like they, they're they set dressing more than they are actual mm. characters for the most part but like she's guilty of that for other characters in that movie too like the jazz singer but particularly in lost in translation with the japanese characters it's like oof there's some like yikes but i don't think it overall detracts from like the story of charlotte and bob it's just like keep that in mind that she's coming from a very like white privileged perspective like very privileged perspective and so like she can lean on certain aesthetics that can seem somewhat frivolous maybe um because she's been offered that privilege so just keep that in mind while you're watching your movies but they are beautiful visual and auditory experiences so definitely worth an hd watch with like surround sound because it's pretty it's pretty fair enough 
All right. Well, with that, let's uh, move on to Mark's director. Mark? Uh, so my director, we've mentioned a couple times, is Christopher Nolan. So Chris Nolan is a British-American director, screenwriter, and producer. He's made a bunch of movies that <laughs> all of us have seen multiple yep. times, I'm assuming, including the Dark Knight trilogy, obviously. So I get to kind of play both sides of the fucking fence on this one. <laughs> you do. Because we will obviously be, at some point do a Batman series where like basically every episode I host through 2000 and what's next year, 2020, is just Batman. We just do Batman <laughs> movies when I host. Oh, yeah. um, I can't wait to do Batman and Robin. I can't wait. Oh, man. I can't wait to have... I'm <laughs> so fucking it. excited to have the Batman Returns argument <laughs> with you two assholes finally and like make you watch that piece of shit. Just <laughs> mm, fuck nope. that movie. Nope. I look forward oh, to it. Yeah. Bring it on. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. Anyway, uh, yeah, so Chris Nolan, I remember specifically like my reason for getting into Chris Nolan was because of Batman. Somebody told me like I was in film school and the first things like I was watching all these movies. So the first thing I thought when somebody was like new Batman director, I was like, I wonder what else he's done. And at that point, like Memento and Insomnia were both out. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much picked up the, like I probably bought the DVDs or something like that. Cause it's 2002, 2003, four kind of thing as that was kind of happening. I picked those two movies up and was just like, yeah, this guy can do Batman. I'm happy here. Mm-hmm. We're good to go. Yeah. So from then on, I, I followed his career pretty closely because, like, obviously the first part of his career encapsulated a giant Batman trilogy. So, yeah, but it was just fascinating that he would take time between these movies and go and do, I'm going to do the prestige after I do Batman Begins and then Inception between The Dark Knight and, like, Dark, Dark Knight Rises yeah. and stuff. And it's like the fact that he's managed to do these kind of personal and very high concept and very expensive films inside the studio system and still just be able to make money on these movies. Like blockbuster money is fascinating to me in a world where like everything's become so corporate and like, it's always about, you know, the MCU, which we talk about and I love milking franchises and yeah. Yeah. It's like building a product where he gets to make like tenant, which is coming out. I have no fucking idea what it's about. Guess (laughs) what? I'll be there day. goddamn one because it's a Chris Nolan movie, right? Mm -hmm. Like I just need to know what it's going to be. And it was the same with inception. Like remember that trailer hit and we were all like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is going on right now? And like, where's my ticket? Yeah. yeah. How soon can I watch it? Yeah, because like I'm in like I'm going insane, and like I remember going to see Dunkirk. Like I was, and I'm not a big war movie guy, and so I generally shy away from that kind of stuff. But I remember somebody was like, "You have to go see it in IMAX," and it may have been you, Tim, actually, like when it came out. No, I I never saw Dunkirk. Didn't you? Okay, maybe it was Eric then. Might have been Eric. But somebody was like, "Go see Dunkirk," so I went and saw it in IMAX, and I was like, "Fuck, I don't even like care about the story or anything like this." But it's just he makes such good movies. They're so well put together all mm-hmm. the time. Like everything's like honed down to the finest edge. Even when they're like two and a half hours long, like I'm like, I don't know. What do you cut out of that? You tell me what you cut out of the dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's nothing really. I mean, maybe you could go argue about the dark Knight rises, but we'll have that conversation yeah. <laughs> at that point kind of yeah. thing. Like there's obviously mitigating circumstances behind the reason why that script didn't like pack together yeah. as tightly as it, uh, probably was going to yeah that's another one where i i think it's a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for i i agree also like i'm a big fan of the dark knight rises i just i i also have a big problem with like why is batman retiring for eight years that just doesn't track for the character with me but you know whatever the dark knight's still like the best fucking thing that's ever been put in front of me that had batman in it so so like (laughs) all right cool but that's the thing with him is like it's the being able to do these movies where like in interstellar he's talking about these big metaphysical ideas and like love and like 
transcending time and space and all this stuff. And it's in a studio picture that like he got Warner Brothers to pay for. I'm like, how yeah. that doesn't happen anymore, right? Like he just gets to be this auteur director in an era where that shit doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Unless you're Quentin Tarantino and have had that career going for whatever. He's managed to like establish that career and make it last for 20 years now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that you just hit on something that uh, like, if we're talking about tent poles, then if you are an auteur director in like the level of Christopher Nolan or Tarantino or Kubrick or Coppola, you have, if you have that distinctive style, then you become your own tent pole. Like Wes Anderson movies yeah. too. Like you look at that and you know it, and that has like a built-in fan base the same way that an MCU movie has a built-in fan base, just like, because, but you're mm-hmm. a fan of the style rather than that set of characters. And that story too. Yeah. So like Or just the, the the capability. You know that you're gonna go see a movie that's well made. Yeah. Even though you might not have any fucking interest in the actual subject matter. Yeah. And that's like looping back into the auteur kind of idea yeah. of the director. Mm-hmm. Where like that's why I like Chris Nolan is that idea where he just seems to have a hand in everything. He writes with the script with his brother and then he shoots it and he, he's in there cutting it and like he's very involved with performance and stuff like that. Like We've all heard the stories about him working with Heath Ledger. Like we've heard the stories about him working with Tom Hardy mm-hmm. endlessly because they seem to always want to work together all yeah. the time yeah. now. Like talk about production posses. Like he's got his own little crew and like he gets to work with whoever he wants now. Like he gets Leo in movies just because he's like, Hey, do you want to do this movie? And Leo's like, yeah, fucking right. I want to work with you. Yeah. So like, I mean, you can say what you want about Leo, but just being able to call him and get him in your movie is means you've got fucking stroke in Hollywood. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you can make money. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what else to say about him. I just, I think he's probably the best director working right now. Like I just does good quality movies yeah. all the time. He's up I, there. They're also not just like, they're not popcorn, right? Like you can watch them as popcorn and they're visually stunning and it's great. And you walk away. You don't have to think about them again if you don't want to, or you can sit there and do what we do and can overanalyze rip and, apart yeah. every goddamn screen <laughs> and overanalyze and, you know, pick apart and then overanalyze and pick apart and keep yeah. doing it. Yeah. And that's another thing that I like about that kind of work. Yeah. So. It's funny that like Nolan and Coppola, Virgin Suicides and Memento particularly, were the first two movies where I actually really did that. Where mm. with the Virgin Suicides, you're looking for like the motives as to why they finally did kill themselves. And Memento... Like this was when I was like 15 years old when that came out. Yeah. I remember, I remember you, I remember you stealing that DVD and me being like, I don't know if I should let you watch that one. That one is fucked. I up. watched that young. movie a million times. Yeah, I did and, like, too. I, I, and I was did. on, I, I was online like with like the the theories about like what was going on in the plot and like who knew what when yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. Like, yeah. oh man, the people Those that it, yeah movies, that it put like, together the timelines and everything and yeah. yeah, yeah. Those two movies I could probably easily point to as like, hey, that's why I like these kind of art house style films even though they were like you know coppola budget, they were pretty big massive, budget like, actually well, momentum's not huge budget i think it was like yeah it wasn't too much uh, yeah but yeah but it did have guy pierce and carrie ann moss and uh, like carrie ann moss was the se- selling point for me because yeah, at that right, point i was yeah, like a year after the matrix yeah yeah and guy pierce had just come off like like confidential yeah. and stuff he was hot shit at that point yeah. too so. and it was amazing in that movie in memento as well he's so great in both oh fuck like, everything so yeah i like guy pierce yeah i why i came i came into chris nolan before the batman movies with memento was my first and it was like i was like just in college like yeah. i was you know trying out new shit and like i was like these are fuck i'd heard like a lot of buzz about it and so yeah i went out and saw it and like i fucking loved it i was like this is amazing this is like 
absolute masterwork of editing for a movie like that. You just, you have to have somebody that had such a fine touch on the editing board, like in terms of not just in terms of like what scenes go where, but in terms of how much you show of what, and like a lot of those quick cuts and flashes and that sort of thing too. And fuck. Yeah. I love, I love memento. I do. You guys have the, the criterion DVD. Is that the one you have? Mark? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I've got it's, yeah, it's yeah. in a box downstairs probably right now, but uh, yeah, the, the one that's done up like a, yeah. like a profile, like a, like his profile, yeah. like his like folder from his psych institution. Those were the, one of those were one of those things that's kind of lost to the ages is the, the cool DVD box. You know what I mean? Yeah. Packaging and menu design yeah. and all that. Cause that, yeah. Like, that, I remember yeah, uh, seven and fight club both having like, like Fincher's another guy we could talk about probably for like fucking three days. But yeah. like the the packaging on those DVDs in that era was just like like remember that Fight Club packaging just being like, like say what you mm-hmm. want about the movie like it was such a beautiful fucking design package. I remember like design nerding all over it when uh, we got it in. Like I think we t- I think we took it to school and we were like talking about it in class because we were so like excited about yeah. the whole like kit of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then I I remember watching Insomnia as well, which was you know he was not as involved yeah. in, but definitely you know directed. Mm-hmm. And uh, fuck that movie was like chilling as yeah. well. Great, like I like I, like I said, I've I've never watched a Chris Nolan movie and been the only time I remember being like even lukewarm was the first time I watched Interstellar. I was like mm-hmm. I don't wait what, and then I was like yeah. but it. it fucking niggled at me till i had to go back and see it and i like i just went back the mm-hmm. next day and was like i gotta go see it again and not like in an end game like i have to go see it again blah, but like in a i this is fucking bugging me like i need to get back in there and kind of look at it again because there's just too much there to dissect the first time i think for me so, yeah i watched it yeah. again and i i was pretty set in that this is probably his like least successful narrative overall like it was the one that had the least impact for me it is so visually stunning and there are moments yeah, it's, it's it might be it's style over substance i would yeah. say uh more than more than most of his movies which is fair but he gets that a lot anyway like he yeah. is very style yeah. over substance sometimes the style's so fucking good i don't care honestly and that's yeah. interstellar is one of those cases where just like he's it's such a slick package that i'm like yeah. The wave All planet, right. the wave, yeah. the, gra- the high gravity planet. Oh and my the, the god! That, that movie, oh. and that's where sometimes the technician in me takes over when I'm watching these things. Like the effects in these movies are just so fucking tight. Like there's oh, yeah. no air in any of it. Like I can't tell where the fucking cuts are and shit. I'm like, that's why I like him so much because like you can't tell half the time like when it's faked. And like all the miniature work that he makes them do, like everything you see, like the special effects work that he does on all his movies from Inception, the Batman movies, like everything, he just is so fucking focused on it being perfect and then cutting down to just showing you as little as possible. So you just see it mm-hmm. and you're gone. And like, that's cool. And we're keep moving kind of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah. he's really good with that effects. Starting with like Inception, I would challenge you to find another director that has pushed effects further in the past like 10 years. Like there might be one or two other names up there that could be close to him, but he's definitely at the top of that. Pile. Yeah. He, uh, they, yeah, I think Inception and Interstellar were both just like yeah. real big master classes and like, hey, how do we do practical effects, mix it with CGI and make it just like a yeah. seamless, seamless picture. And on top of that still fucking works on film like it's not digital like he's one of those guys he just decides like i'm still gonna shoot on 35 mil or whatever like he shoots imax half mm-hmm. the time which i i get as an artist sometimes because sometimes going back to just like board and pencil is like its own kind of thing right so mm-hmm. you have all the options in front of you like i have photoshop in front of me at all times right so i can do whatever i want anytime at any time 
And that's kind of what digital offers you also in terms of filmmaking. Like when you get that frame, like every pixel is manipulable at that point, whereas film, you don't have that access to it. And that creates its own problems and like limitations, which I think working inside that is interesting from a technical side, like point of view too. So yeah, even if it is, can be like, yeah, massively pretentious. Like I'm only shoot on film because, you know, yeah <laughs> i mean everybody that we're talking about this week has like a fair fucking degree of pretension yeah, absolutely absolutely <laughs> yeah but it's i would say it's well fucking hey, man, like i'm not i'm not arguing with it i've gone to see all the i own all these movies like three times over at this point so yeah, yeah. yeah. all right so for chris nolan do you have like a couple of like key scenes that for you really like encapsulate his his talent uh, his skill? i think i mean the first kind of like real city bending scene in inception like when you really get that first effect shot is just like oh yeah he's he's thinking outside the fucking box right now and like we've so satisfying we've seen it ripped off so many times and like done so well like dr strange did that effect really coolly and like really comic booked it up and like flared it up but like that super tight super convincing way that it happens in inception that first time it's just like oh shit it's visceral almost you know yeah i don't want to like sit there and harp on the dark knight but the pencil trick I think that like that ratcheting tension of like following Heath Ledger's Joker in watching them all react in whichever way all of them kind of disgusted react to him. And then like the fucking smash in the pencil trick, like that whole scene is just like, wow, we've figured out how to establish character mm-hmm. in like yeah. 13 seconds. And I'm terrified and pissing my pants in a theater seat. Cause I've never seen a Joker where I'm like, I don't, he makes me uncomfortable to watch. It's not like, oh, I'm scared or like, ha, ah, like he's doing something goofy. I'm like, I don't fucking know what he's going to do next. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. So cool. And other than that, I still think the reveal in the prestige, I just like, I like that sequence. Regardless of whether you've picked up on the, the secret or not, I like that little like, fuck you unveil. Yeah. Also having Bowie as Tesla, just, you know what? So the prestige is weird for me. I I swear I've seen it, but I can't. And like I know the general narrative of it, but I can't fucking remember it at all. It it left. If I did see it, it left like no impression on me, and I don't know why. It's interesting because like it's a very well made movie. It's just in this weird. It's in that weird pocket where it's like again, it's one of those in between Batman movies where it kind of came up between Begins and Dark Knight. Yeah, it's either that I did see it. Or and it made like no impression on me for some reason, or I just think that I've seen it because like I've heard it talked about. So did you much see the Illusionist? I was gonna say, did, did you see the Illusionist? I remember. <laughs> came out yeah, the and I know that they came right around. Yeah, they came out right around the same time, and I remember there being a lot of confusion about those. Well, the Illusionist things. was fucking terrible. First of all, there was yeah. that that was a big problem <laughs> with the Illusionist, uh, and then the Prestige was just like it was a very different kind of movie than what, what people were really expect. But like, he sold it like a supernatural movie, and it was very much not. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. like that's what the kind of the, the trailers seem to indicate, or maybe that's that was Warner Brothers. Who knows who cut the trailer, right? Yeah. But it, yeah. it seemed to have more of a supernatural bent to it than it really did. And the illusionist really had that supernatural bent to it and was just dog shit and just Edward Norton fucking doing Edward Norton assholeness or whatever. It, it was <laughs> a lot. Inflicting himself on Jessica Biel. It was a lot. Yeah, yeah, it was an intense movie. But like, I don't know. Prestige is one of those movies that like, I remember going to see it and being like, huh. It's not like intense or like really flashy or it's like, it's not the Dark Knight or Interstellar or something like that where you're just like, holy shit. You know what I mean? But it's it's a really nice little piece of film, I think. Yeah. And there's like really solid performances. Like I remember watching it and being like, I, my only experience with Hugh Jackman at the time had been Wolverine, right? So he was just like grumpy all the time. And I remember watching him like 
really kind of being the villain of the piece and like kind of being a piece of shit and being like, huh, he's actually pretty good at this. Mm-hmm. And like, Nolan really got a kind of scumbaggy side out of Hugh Jackman that I never would have pictured them bringing out. And he did the same thing to Christian Bale, but like, you kind of buy it with Christian Bale because American Psycho happened. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever. But like, I was impressed by like that performance he got out of Hugh Jackman and like, the kind of performance he got out of uh, Scarlett Johansson in that movie too, and Michael Caine, like he he just picks all the like he's got the best fucking actors to work with. Yeah. So I would argue, I would argue though that sometimes his side characters feel like extra flimsy. Some like it depends I, on the movie. It depends on the movie, yeah. And I like in Memento, you have three characters basically, and they're yeah. all fucking incredible. Like Carrie Ann Moss, yeah. Guy Pearce, and Joe Pantoliano, like at their best. Basically, fuck. I love Joy Pants. Yeah, I fucking love yep. Joy Pants. <laughs> and you so underrated. Good. Yeah, underrated. And then you've, but then you've got movies like Batman Begins, or uh, uh, actually a lot of the Batman movies, where a lot of the side characters, especially the female characters, are like kind of like one dimensional to the point where they recast, and you don't even notice. <laughs> <One of them laughs> yeah. Still, yeah, still the best Selena Kyle on screen, boys. That's I'm like that's still <laughs> the best Catwoman that I've seen on screen. I will defend Michelle Pfeiffer to no, the death. No. <laughs> Six sixties Batman, fucking Julie Julie Newmar. Newmar. I will say, and, yeah. I mean, if you're playing the character, yeah. Yeah, it depends mm-hmm. on like the era, right? But like that felt like yeah, comic yeah. book, uh, like modern comic I, book. Catwoman don't get me wrong. And like, yeah, don't Hathaway, get me wrong. I fucking yeah. loved Anne Hathaway in that suit. Hey man, Julie Newmar was basically <laughs> my sexual fucking awakening. Uh, <laughs> that suit broke me at like whatever ten years old when I first started watching that show. Like I didn't know what the fucking I didn't know how to deal with that. That was too much. Yeah. You know what I mean? That I uh, was too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's like the only criticism I have of Nolan overall. It's like, and in Inception, like yeah. some of the side characters as well were a little bit like whatever. But yeah. um, when he focuses on like the protagonist, like I find he even made me like leonardo dicaprio at like dicaprio's peak like peak leo Leo, trying trying to be tough guy cop when he was in shutter island and like the being tough guy in the department i don't know i'm not a big leo fan (laughs) not a fan i I, I, (laughs) see i've grown to kind of like i've always never really liked i never liked leo because he was leo you know what i mean like in the 90s it was just like obnoxious to hear his name mentioned at any point and that happened to me in this era when he started doing this exact role again and again and i was like I'm, i just don't buy you in this my thing was like, like yeah. i just i just ignored him and everything until he showed up i was like i can't ignore him showing up in a chris nolan movie i was like yeah. all right now i gotta watch this and i was like all right he's actually pretty yeah. good in this one so i'm fine with it like the departed i'm take or leave yeah. whatever yeah. I, i'm the same as you like i'm not like a oh my god it's got leo in it i gotta go see it i'm yeah. like if it's a good fucking movie and it's got him in it i'll go see it kind yeah, of thing. yeah 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 but uh yeah. yeah i i have to say that in inception that was leo tough guy done correctly and so yeah like, yeah. yeah kudos yeah. nolan kudos and Mark, so let's say we've got listeners that are not super into Nolan, not super familiar with his work, his oeuvre, if you will. What would you recommend that they dive into first? This is a tough one. Like, this is a tough one. I think it's pretty easy to just say, like, go watch the Batman trilogy because it's pretty accessible <laughs> overall. Yeah. And it's like, it's a good superhero story that kind of holds together for the most part. And like that middle one, oh boy. 
that's a that's he doesn't Nolan all over it as much as he does yeah. like Interstellar or Inception yeah. or and like it's it doesn't have that like kind of veneer of pretension also that like I mean it does yeah. but it doesn't you know what I mean like it's got that Nolan veneer because it's a Nolan movie but it doesn't have that like we're gonna get really extra deep into like the stuff that it's not quite up on a pedestal the way yeah. that some of his other stuff is yeah yeah but I think Memento and the Batman movies would be where I would start and if you yeah. want to go for more than just keep going down the rabbit hole basically I like yeah, I can't not recommend those Batman movies. Also, because we're probably going to fucking review them in the new year. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> there's that. But uh, yeah, so I I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of Interstellar, though. Like, I just like visually like watching that movie. And that may just be the stoner in me talking. Like, just putting it on screen sometimes is just enough for me to be like, all right. Oh, there's some Anne Hathaway and some special effects. I'm good to go. Like, yeah. So, Yeah. Anybody else have anything to say on Chris Nolan before we move on to me? Nope, I'm good. Well, for my pick, I picked like the fucking original auteur. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I picked uh, Stanley Kubrick, who, I mean, I've loved his movie since I was like a teenager. And I have like one of the very first like DVD box sets I ever bought was that box set of like his later, all his later movies kind of thing. I just, I have so much respect for Kubrick as just a masterful visual storyteller but that visual storyteller that does not necessarily get in the way of the story you know uses all of the tricks and skills and techniques of filmmaking to push the story forward without just dialogue kind of thing like for my money kubrick's overall mastery of all of the you know multiple many techniques involved in filmmaking is second to none and the other thing I really like is, and this is, well, I guess Coppola kind of plays around in genres, but I mean, Kubrick never really went back to the same genre or period twice. Like he just, he just truly was able to bring his own vision and style to just really fucking wildly diverse movies in the end like if you were to put these movies beside each other on the shelf and told somebody that all of them were made by the same director without having watched any of them, they just say like, you're fucking crazy. Like that's ridiculous. There's no way the same guy that made fucking like Barry Lyndon also made 2001 a space odyssey. <laughs> I no, honestly, again, I, I disagree because there is a languidness to both movies that like they feel exactly, <laughs> you know what I mean? That there is tonal, like I, I just, mm, no, they are the same guy. <laughs> like I just, you could feel okay. it. <laughs> and i mean he's also an, you know one of those guys that is involved in every stage like he yeah he wrote a lot of the screenplays or at least had a big hand in the screenplays on the works that he's best known for and he's there from you know from screenplay right through the fucking final cut yeah almost insanely so yeah exactly <laughs> i mean obsessively so like I said, this like is the fucking psychopathic O2. yeah like yeah. he is like to a psychopathic degree in a lot of cases so yeah which is like very entertaining to read those like <laughs> read and listen to stories of kubrick on set and some of them are harrowing and awful but at the same time it's just fascinating to watch a complete yeah. madman artist get to do whatever the fuck he wants whatever <laughs> the fuck he wants yeah so. and there is you know there's problematic elements to kubrick for sure you know there are those horror stories about him being like so fucking exacting or just making his actors repeat the same scene over and over and over again until he gets the fucking take that he wants yeah but part of that is you know his auteur his genius like he's on the record saying like that 
you know, actors, actresses are tools, they're instruments. And sometimes they're in tune right off the bat, but sometimes you have to keep playing them. You have to keep tuning them Mm -hmm. until you get them to the point that you want them at. And so I like, I mean, look at the fucking movies he made. Like he attracted top fucking talent and there were people that did go back and work. Well, there's some people that went back and worked with him multiple times. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I mean, yeah. yeah. but, but in those people that he did work with, even if he never worked with them again, he extracted fucking career best performances from them. Absolutely. I never argue any of that. Like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, like Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman and Eyes Wide Shut. Peter Sellers and Dr. Strangelove. Malcolm McDowell. Like, Malcolm McDowell is Malcolm, yeah. Malcolm McDowell is a practically a fucking like B list like actor, but in Clockwork Orange, he's fucking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like Vincent D'Onofrio and Full Metal Jacket. Like all of those are just like just journeyman fucking performances. And, and some of these actors have never done anything like that before or since. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that there is something <laughs> to be said about like, you might like if you get the opportunity to work with a director like that, you might like do it for the opportunity, for the prestige, cut your teeth on it. But like, I don't know. There are some directors who are able to do that with their actors without oh yeah, putting them through <laughs> the gauntlet. Them. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean part of it too is is, you know, some of these movies were made fucking 30 years into his career and people knew what they were fucking getting themselves into when they were going into work with Kubrick. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like, they were, you know, maybe not prepared for the full extent of it, but they at least had some idea kind of thing. So, you know, there's, I can see both sides of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, uh, in terms of one, one of the things that always drives me to Kubrick and it's again, one of those things that, you don't necessarily notice unless you're looking directly at it, you know, unless you're watching it is just the fucking skill in, in which he frames and composes his shots mm-hmm. and how he uses that to bring you into the psychology of the scene. I mean, fuck you go on for hours about psychology and Kubrick, but that is the one thing that I think is, you know, again, you, it's one of those subconscious things that, you know, you might not know it when you're first watching these movies, especially if you haven't fucking, you know, taken film classes or whatever. But once you have, and once you can sort of pick up on it, you'd be like, that's fucking genius. The way that he like put this element here and this element there or framed it this widely with, you know, the character in this back corner of the shot or whatever, mm-hmm. in order to make you feel what you're supposed to feel in this scene. Yeah. Cause he was a photographer as well before he yeah. was a film director. And you can see that in the way that he, he knows that like, you've got a, you have more time, but to film is so temporarily locked and he was such a master of like, okay, I've got like two seconds to show that this character is evil. And then you get the, the Kubrick stare, like, mm-hmm, like yeah. and in one second, you get Jack Nicholson looking up at the camera in that one angle. And it's like, he's, he, you learn everything you need to know. She's the most, the most stolen eyeball set for like comic book panels you'll ever see ever ever yeah. is the kubrick stare everybody uses it i use it constantly like we all use it all the time as one of the the first thing i was i thought of when tim brought up kubrick i'm like he's one of those guys that like hitchcock and i think we've mentioned this before i steal frames from them or like framing ideas from them when i'm like penciling or like drawing pieces and stuff because the way they frame shit is mm-hmm like insane like just insane they spend so much time just looking it through the lens to make sure everything's just perfect and i'm like yeah that's uh i like that that's that's crazy talk that i can fucking get down with so yeah Yeah, absolutely i guess it's you know while we're talking about all these fucking actors or all these directors too i don't think any of them have ever actually won 
best directing Oscars. Nolan hasn't. Uh, no, I don't know Kub- what hasn't. Uh, Kubrick uh, never did. He, I think, the only thing that he got was did he get a nom for Eyes Wide Shut or something like that. Yeah. Oh, he got yeah, he got a bunch of nominations for best director, but uh, yeah. the only Academy Award any of his movies ever won was uh, 2001 for best visual effects. Yeah. <laughs> the- yeah, people usually didn't like his movies when they first came out. There was like, I mean, The Shining was kind of loath, like it was kind of panned when it came yeah. out initially, and as was Clockwork Orange too, with like was kind of reviled a little bit. Like it was, it was kind of sh- like, well, it was a lot it? for that that yeah, time period, shocking, right? Like, right? yeah, so, like exactly. there was that too. But like, I think it might have, yeah. So they got kind of like really they got lambasted too, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, like, those are difficult movies to kind of like sit through, especially in the time period, right? So, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Like, fuck, The Shining's still hard to sit through sometimes. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I think I, that's. I think that maybe is is kind of key with all of these all these directors that we've been discussing tonight. Is I need to be in a mood to watch a Coppola, Sofia Coppola movie. I need to be in a yeah. mood to watch a fucking Kubrick movie. Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan maybe a little less so, but there are definitely some Co- Nolan movies where I couldn't. You know, I I need to be in the right fucking headspace, the right frame of mind to sit down and watch Inception or Interstellar or Memento. Agreed. Yeah. Anything. They're not. They're not frivolous. They're not easy. Yeah. Yeah. He gets a little bit of a pass because I can just throw in the Dark Knight whenever yeah, yeah, yeah. I want. But like, I don't necessarily go and sit down and watch Memento. Yeah. Once a month, you know, yeah, now, or Insomnia or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Insomnia is one of those ones I don't know if I ever need to go watch again. Like I loved it. I, yeah. But holy yeah. shit, that's a tough sit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember Memento feeling that way, kind of about Memento too. The first time I sat through it, where I was just like, "Fuck, I don't mm-hmm. know if I ever need to like really sit through that again." Yeah. I was kind of yeah. off putting. We could do an entire episode on like our comfort cinema, you know, like the stuff that we put in just to like, yeah. I don't know, just to have something on the yeah, background. Yeah, we did. Mark, Mark and I did the, that Kevin Smith episode. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Thank you for ruining that for us, by yeah. the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also like Sofia Coppola is an amazing director, but I will like maybe Lost in Translation is an easier sit than The Virgin Suicides or Mar- Marie yeah. Antoinette. Mm-hmm. But like, it, it's not like a movie like Clueless or Mean Girls where I can throw it on any 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 time, like yeah, and yeah. just and, and just bask in the good feelings that I get from it. All of these yeah. uh, filmmakers are like they're not here to talk about the good parts of the human experience definitely yeah. not they are to always they're they're trying to get to they're playing in the dark spaces yeah yeah, they, yeah i think they like good good filmmakers to me who make like movies that are challenging have to get to the uncomfortable truths about life sometimes and mm-hmm. nolan with memento kubrick with most of his films dr strange yeah and sophia coppola with her less heartwarming moments like even the heartwarming movies like lost in translation at the end are problematic in like the message is like not they're not exactly happy at the end nobody's really yeah, happy bittersweet bittersweet at best and yeah. fucking dead teenagers in the house at worst so like <laughs> like you know, it, it like I think we assign a lot of value to tragedy and like, but a lot of the best directors work in that space. And I know comedy is a different thing, and comedy is fucking hard. But like, I don't know. The only person that was funny because I I thought about Ivan Reitman while we were doing this because like mm-hmm. there's a lot of his movies that I'm like I really enjoy quite a bit, but I'm like, you know, you yeah. get that kind of like yeah, eh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
There's not. A, I find comedy directors might not be as consistent in style unless yep. unless it's a if you consider Woody Allen comedy writer. Oof. But I don't want. I don't really like his yeah, movies, so I would never him. choose him. <laughs> and and yeah. let's not give him any uh, fucking. Credit, air time, air time. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I I absolutely see where you're coming from. Yeah, but uh, Kubrick, none of his movies are feel good in any way, shape, or form. But like, they're definitely <laughs> like, man, I I it, when I'm I in know, the mood, a, and they if you consider AI to be a Kubrick movie, which there's a whole school of thought as to whether you should or not, because it was you know spielberg ended up directing it but kubrick wrote and produced it and it was basically a project that kubrick or that spielberg took over that's it's it, relatively heartwarming, but maybe so that's more the Spielberg. It's yeah. that, that the Howard <laughs> yeah. rooms are so Spielbergy. Still, I still don't. I, I still feel like he kind of he did something to that. Yeah, yeah like it, it, he yeah. turned it into a Spielberg movie, which is fine. Like I actually I enjoy AI, and I think the aspects of it that I like are probably like the the script and stuff, like the stuff that kind of came through from Kubrick's yeah. treatment of it. But like, I mean. Spielberg, he's also on my list. You know what I mean? Like, I could have easily talked about him tonight mm-hmm. as well, because I think he's fucking, he's a different kind of, like, director from what we're ta- kind of talking about right now mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But, like, he's just as influential as any of these guys, if not more, more so. so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's... I mean, I, like Coppola and Kubrick, Nolan have right? both cited Kubrick as a massive yeah. influence. Like, how the fuck can you not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? So, and, but I mean, like, Spielberg, like, he was kind of Kubrick was his mentor kind of, you know what I mean? Like they were very, very close. And the reason why there's a big like argument that we were, I was watching fucking room 237 for like the first time in 10 years or whatever. And I was like, I'd forgotten that like he would always kind of off put this project that he'd wanted to do with the Holocaust Mm -hmm. because he felt Spielberg had done exactly what he wanted to do in Schindler's list. And I was like, it's interesting that he would off put something like that just because somebody he considered to be like his mentee or whatever had done kind of this a similar piece. Like he just didn't feel like he needed to do that space because it had been done by somebody who he esteemed enough to yeah. had handled it properly. So yeah. cool. And then he went and made eyes wide shut, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so yeah. Hey, I, that's one of those weird ones where like I ended up screening it for like the people that I was working with because I wanted to see it like as a film nerd. Like I was just like, it's a Kubrick movie guys. Like I, I'm just going to yeah. watch it. Yeah. And like a bunch of people watched it with me and they were like, I remember I've never seen a more confused group of like teenagers get up <laughs> and kind of look at me after a movie was done. And me being like, I fucking told you it was a Kubrick. Yeah, movie. exactly. Like, it's not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what you were expecting it to be. It's good. Fucking weird. You yeah. Know? It's, it is a Kubrick movie for the nineties. Like that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And yeah, take it, really it or is. fucking leave it. Like it yeah. is what it needed. It is exactly what it should have been. Yeah. I don't argue that that may be like the best fucking performance Tom Cruise has ever put on film. Actually. I think Magnolia, so. And, and it might, too. Magnolia, I would say is probably know, better. Yeah. But, you know what? You know, uh, I fucking forgot about Tropic Thunder. Cause he's so good in that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I see Eyes Wide Shut as a bit of a curio, like something that like, you know, it's not something I would put in front of someone who already like hadn't seen Kubrick stuff and was really enthusiastic yeah, about yeah. it. And like you, if you want to dive a little deeper and see where he was going before his death, this is a good, like where he could have gone further if he had, was making more movies. But like, it's definitely, if I was as an introductory Kubrick course, oh, definitely no, not on my, no, no, no way. No, 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 no fucking way. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. 
And I certainly, like, no. if that was someone's first movie of a Kubrick that they saw just because of the time it was released, I would definitely yeah. be like, don't, just ignore go it and go watch The Shining. Go watch Doctor Strangelove. Yeah. Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, I, yeah whatever. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket. I watched that. So, like, I did, I actually ended up watching a bunch of movies this week. And like I said, I think I, I kind of owe Paul a version suicide rewatch. I just couldn't bring myself <laughs> to sit through that. It's a, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a, it's a rough sit, and like I, it's not. She's not my favorite director, so like there's a bunch of the stylistic of her stylistic choices in that movie really get to me because mm. they're not like as honed down yet. Whereas like I will watch Lost in Translation like 500 times. I fucking love that movie. Yeah. But like Kubrick, I sat ended up sitting down. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch Full Metal Jacket. So I watched that. And I was like, ah, fuck, man, it's only like it's only 11 o'clock. I could put you know Clockwork Orange on right now <laughs> and maybe still get some sleep tonight. No, that's the terrible. You're idea. not gonna get I sleep after anyway. Clockwork Orange. <laughs> no, so I sat there and watched Clockwork Orange, and then like I got up the next day and I was like, man, I just watched The Shining like a couple weeks ago when I got the 4K rip of it, and I was like, ah, oh, fuck, and I'm gonna go sit down and watch it again. <laughs> and then it's like I'm gonna start watching documentaries and I start reading about it, and then it's like I'm gonna watch The Room 230. So I got I went way down the Kubrick <laughs> yeah. fucking rabbit hole this week, and now I'm confused about life and shit. So like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fucking like, well, getting into like key scenes. The the one, and this isn't a necessarily a individual scene, but one of his tricks that I've got a lot of respect for is, and and one of his hallmarks, I will admit, is that he'll do like this juxtaposition of like flowery, soft music with like kind of mechanical or like sterile imagery. So like the space ballet in two thousand one, yeah. where you've got the WC playing over the space station and everything. Or like the orchestral pop music at the beginning that goes along with the planes refueling and Dr. Strangelove. And then the bookend of that with the we'll meet again while the nuclear bombs are going off at the end of towards the end of of Dr. Strangelove. That's I, I, I really have a great appreciation for for those little like, you know, here's this against that kind of thing. Yeah, the juxtaposition, like, actually, Sofia Coppola borrows that trick a lot, too. And I'm always a fan of, like, same with my my pop music. I like some darkness to my pop the same way I like a little bit of levity to my tragedy. And Kubrick is really good at that. Like, it just, he, Mm -hmm. I think he, he sees like the insanely tragic as like it it eats its own tail and becomes comic again like dr strange love that yeah. ending oh yeah is Fucking so, so absurd <laughs> yeah. so good yeah. like just i think that he honestly stares death in the face and it's just like let's fucking make a joke of it because why not mm-hmm. it's just absurd i love it love that scene it's the blackest black comedy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty much yeah but in terms of like more sort of specific individual scenes that i where i really see kubrick's like genius shining through the bathroom scene in full metal jacket with vincent d'onofrio because that is just one of those fucking shots that is just framed so very well like you can see you can feel that psychosis looking at him sitting there in his fucking underwear yeah. in that shot, you know, reciting, yeah. reciting the, you know, this is my gun and everything. And Full Metal Jack is one of those, like, again, like I'm not a big war movie guy. And even then I'll like Full Metal Jack is one I'll, I'll shy away from just because it's even that much more. It's Kubrick, right? So you just kind of stuck in that fucking box that he puts mm-hmm. you in by the time the movie's done. But like, I fucking love that. Movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I've like I've written papers about it. Like I've watched it over and over mm-hmm. again because I love it. Yeah. So. And then uh, going back to Doctor Strangelove, which is 
Yeah, relatively. Like, it's right around the time where he starts getting into the deep, like, auteur kind of stuff. Like, you can mm-hmm. argue maybe yeah. Lolita's the start of that, but or Pass of Glory, but but the the war room scenes in that with like the overhead yeah. shots down on the whole table together and the way that he frames the shots of like the different people on the tables and stuff like that and how he'll leave the camera on the person that's not talking for a reaction and stuff like that like the that I have a lot of appreciation for especially that very first war room sequence in Doctor Strange Love in terms of just it, I just find it fucking amazingly directed mm-hmm, and super yeah. captivating to watch yeah just like the uh, the coordination he put into those shots too because there's even stuff where like you would watch stuff in the overlook happening behind mm-hmm. the main yeah. scene and you could tell that it had been choreographed to like the finest point yeah. where like one guy walks through the scene as they're chatting and then as the the scene ends and they're walking away from each other, he's finally hitting the stairs in the back and walking off mm-hmm. frame. And you're like, well, why did you? And that's why? like three different shots. So yeah, it's not like that's the same. Yeah. yeah. And like, and it happened every time in yeah. every take, you can go and watch it happen. He had it all coordinated at exactly the same, like, like clockwork mm-hmm. times. And I was like, why? Like, just why? <laughs> you know, it's crazy. It's, I love it. I love it so yeah. much. Cause just like that meticulous, like I need to have these details the way I yeah. want them. Yeah. Cause I'm a crazy person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and as a penciler, I can I could just I can get into that like headspace, <laughs> like just get in there, get all those little fucking details. Yeah. So. yeah. One of my favorite scenes it. that I hate watching so much is the Clockwork Orange brainwashing <laughs> scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. And watching Malcolm McDowell's reactions and with the is it the Beethoven playing in the background? I believe. Yeah. Yeah. The o- Ode to Joy. Yeah. Ode to Joy. Yeah. yeah. Oof woof a fucking stunning piece of cinema but like <laughs> it's yeah. so hard to watch yeah also, and Malcolm like, screams in that fucking they're just bone chilling yeah yeah it's like down to your core legs he was not always well regarded by a lot of critics even in no. that time like uh, i remember like one of the big critics of the 60s 70s 80s was pauline kale she was like the for movie criticism she was the voice and she was yeah. not a fan of 2001 for instance but that being said like People took all of, even like, especially in that era, took what he did and ran with it a lot. And mm-hmm. he continued to make masterpieces after that. So, you know. Yeah. Let's see. In terms of a uh, film recommendation for those that might not, you know, be super into Kubrick, I mean, The Shining is probably is his most accessible work, I would say. Agreed. And yeah. I just. I have so much respect for it because I don't think anybody will ever make another horror movie quite like the shining that relies so successfully on just atmosphere and just setting a really unsettling mood overall. Like you're just so disconcerted through the whole fucking movie. Mm -hmm. I love when you really start picking apart that movie and like seeing how the sets Mm -hmm. built and they don't make sense. And like the, the weird eldritch abomination that is that fucking hotel that he's kind of designed for this character yeah. to live in. It's just like, God, I fucking love how crazy you are so goddamn much. Like, <laughs> it's, I love yeah. it. I love it so much. Cause you get that when you, when you, you, sorry, when you're cognizant of all that stuff, like after the fact, you've read the books and all the shit that you've had to read for film school and it's kind of ruined everything for you, <laughs> yeah. but it's, you still see it and you're like, God, it's like, so fucking cool the way like, yeah, you walk into room 237 and it extends so much further back than it's physically possible for it to even extend. Yeah. Or that window that's in the fucking manager's office that like, how is it there? Like it should be in the middle of the building, but there's this beautiful big blown out window. Why? Why? Like, why is all this shit connected? And how does Danny go from the bottom floor to the top floor on his big, like, I don't get it. Yeah. But it's just, (laughs) yeah. 
<laughs> it's just that like like Castlevania like shifting in on itself kind of evil entity, but you're not sure if it's just they're all crazy or it's mm-hmm. something actually happening. Mm-hmm. Like it's I love that movie so yeah. much. I sit here and talk about it all goddamn night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean for me, like The Shining is just one of those rare movies where all every single aspect of the film works together to make something that is just ultimately transcendent Mm -hmm. you know it's if you were just to put everything in that movie down on paper and say like okay and then we're gonna do this shot this way and stuff like that like it it just would not come across the way it does when you actually see it all filmed and put together on the screen Mm -hmm. so and also sorry not sorry stephen king fans i love this fuck (laughs) yeah yeah I do like the book too. Like the book's excellent, but like this movie just, I don't know, man, (laughs) sticks with you, you know, like it just sticks with you. Yeah. Uh, Poor Shelley Duvall. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) She got put through the fucking ringer. Yeah. The best is like the Jack Nicholson lines about her where he's just like, I don't know why everybody's talking about me. Like the shit she went through is fucking bonkers. Like you should go talk to her. Like Mm -hmm. he he was, there's lots of interviews where he was like, I, like, I know, like I'm great because she was fucking Jack Nicholson. I get it. Go we'll talk to Shelly about the fucking nonsense she had to go through to get this movie yeah, made. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So. But yeah, so I think that's pretty much everything we've got on those directors. I mean, honestly, we could like we could go on. We could, fucking, we could go <laughs> oh, yeah. on, on these for sure. But maybe for now it's best, you know, maybe at some point we'll we'll deep dive some of these movies in in uh, in particular or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. But for <laughs> now <Batman. laughs> <laughs> that's happening boys uh but for now let's move on to our final stingless segment geek cred where each of us recommends something for our listeners to go check out so let's go to paul first since he started off right yeah tonight. i'm i'm gonna go a little bit off the beaten path um in terms of what i recommend because like it is winter time and we geeks tend to uh, cloister ourselves indoors a lot, like more than other people, and maybe are not as active as most. And I particularly am bad for that. So if you are like on Amazon or AliExpress or whatever, get yourself like a sunlight lamp and take care of yourself this winter. And don't just like hide and do video games because like, <laughs> like do that. Do what you need to do to enjoy your life, but like make sure you're taking care of yourself because like as a geek, um, I tend to shut myself indoors and read a lot of books and play a lot of video games in the winter, but like it's bad for your mental health. So make sure that you are taking good care of yourself and getting your vitamin D. I have I have a sunlight lamp that I use. Is that, is that another? Uh, oh, I, I, okay, yeah. Is that yep, what you're? Is Tim, that what you're going to do in Bangkok? <laughs> yep, Tim's exactly. Yeah. exactly the thing I'm thinking. I hate it. Yeah. I hate it when this happens. <laughs> no. I hate it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Get off my cabbage patch, motherfucker. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Se- seasonal de- seasonal affective disorder is definitely a thing. Yeah. Yeah, man. (laughs) If you already have depression, it will make your depression worse. So my recommendation, I have a sunlight lamp that is like a flat panel sunlight lamp that I can put in my lap and like do my geeky shit while I am getting... It's like a flat. While your neck is getting lots of sun. No, well, uh, you're supposed to have it so that the sunlight will tangentially go into your eyes. So, okay. like, if it sits in your lap, then it will enter your eyes, but not so you're not staring directly at it because it's just like a flat panel light. I'm showing the visual podcast. Yeah, visual gags. Yeah, yeah. I should probably actually have Paul on screen because, like, I'm the only person who's looking at him. I think. Yeah. <laughs> what What is this panel? Is that what you're? Yeah, like, this, the this thing, thing that's blowing out your picture. Oh, that. Yeah. Okay. 
The thing that looks like a tablet. It looks like a tablet, but like if I turn it on, it like puts the light in my eyes without me staring directly at it while I'm like reading Reddit. And you only need to do it like 15 minutes a day. So like geeks, take good care of yourselves. It's a tough time for people who like to stay indoors and for people who just have seasonal affective disorder in general. So yeah, go go do that. All right. Mark, what's your geek cred for this week? Uh, just follow me on Instagram, MT underscore Willette. We're having a lot of fun with that uh, letter Kenny thing that's going on, that's been going on. So uh, we're like day shit, 20 or something like that. We're coming up on something, day 20. I don't know. We're in the teens somewhere. Things are crazy. I'm getting likes. Actresses are fucking commenting on stuff. I'm having a blast. Come join the fun. I don't know. Other than that, I've been, I was so sick and fucked up this week. All I did was watch these movies and Marvel movies. So I'm like, I... It's the same shit I recommend every week. So. <laughs> yeah, just go follow me on Instagram, and I'll have something better for you next week. I did geek cred, you know? <laughs> yeah. Same day, second <laughs> My geek cred is going to be something that I have recommended previously, but it is sort of reaching a new phase. Tom King's run on Batman reaches its conclusion this coming week, the week of well, the final issue, uh, issue 85, comes out on... Uh, December 11th so and it has been fucking still really really good and uh, it's not you know the end of his Batman story it's going to continue on in a like Batman Catwoman series well but definitely going to conclude sort of the this big crazy story that he's been telling with Bane and Thomas Wayne from the Flashpoint universe and Alfred and a lot yeah a lot of crazy shit so we should do a. We should probably do an episode on that one at some point. That'd be fun. Like once it's uh, once it's wrapped up. Yeah, or fun. at least the the main part of the that the, the Batman arc of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wrapped up. Maybe we could do. Yeah, uh, and I, I don't know how long he wants to stay on that Batman Catwoman. Before, I think it's a limited series. It's like a twelve issue or something like that. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, 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 we'll see. Cool. How it looks. Well, uh, Batman has been coming out twice weekly or twice a month. Oh, uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah it has been. So. That's true. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to like that conclusion happening. So yeah, cool. So with that, we can close out for this week. Thank you very much for listening, everybody, to us ramble on about nerdy film geek kind of shit. If you have stuff to contribute, if we left out your favorite director, if you want to contribute something, if you hate or love one of the directors we talked about, you can yell at us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/danceorbotdance. You can hit us up on Twitter at drd underscore podcast. You can send us an email at danceorbot dance podcast at gmail.com and if you are not already you can subscribe to our podcast on any of the major pod catching apps be it stitcher google Podcasts, apple podcasts or spotify so with that we'll say yeah once again thanks for listening say good night paul good night everyone and say good night mark good night everybody and i'm tim and we will see you next week i don't have a fucking out God, it's been a week. (laughs) There's no no out. Sorry, guys. No out this week. Go watch some movies.